It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the Dana White privilege to my Sean O'Malley, Nick John Bracha III. It is good to be on with you, brother. We don't record forever UFC. Things have been crazy. Things have been busy. But I'm glad to be on with you for this one. UFC 292 is looking stacked, man. Yeah, I'm super excited for the show. I'm, I've also enjoyed a lead over you, a commanding lead for, I guess, four or five months now. And, you know, you keep thinking you're going to sneak back in and you may pick up a point. But then I take it right back. And then we tie. And then I get two more. And I don't know. You're not down double digits as I was very early in the year. But you're down considerably so uh you know good luck to you man nick i usually dominate right from the beginning all the way to the very end of the season this year nick i decided to take more of the marlon vera approach nick i let you have the first round i take my time i'm gonna land my bombs when they count nikolai in the championship rounds bombs nick gonna drop you you six times and have the referee stop the fight if you say so but i've been picking better and I don't know. I wonder if I wonder if maybe the game passed you by, maybe. Maybe. We've been about tied for the last like, I don't know, 2 months, give or take. Like like there's been a, an extra point or two for me, an extra point or two for you, a bunch of tied events. So, you know, it's not like you have the momentum in, in that way, but you did score that lead in the first couple of uh, or I should say the second and third month of this year and uh, and and you're you're keeping it, Nick. You have you're somewhere around 7 points up over me or something. I will make up for it, brother. I will I will make this work. Well, this will be a fun card to pick. You know, like a lot of people, I think my, I can say my love for the sport is waning. There's a lack of stars. The UFC and Endeavor are gross. Behavior of fighters is whack. Um, it's a rough time. It's a rough time to be a fan. Um, yeah, it's a hard sport. To, it used to be a sport that I was proud to defend, and that 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 it's not really the case anymore. Yeah, you're not kidding. And I will say for this event, some of these odds are a little bit too far apart for my liking. Like, There's some goofy odds on this one. Yeah, I think part of it is because like the betting lines have been have been just heavily bet on one side. And the odds move further in one direction in a lot of these matchups. But some of these are rather silly. That actually happens a lot with... Um, the big pay-per-views, right? When you're dealing with... Well, big pay-per-views, but also hyped fighters. People who have Dana White privilege. Um you know, we'll uh, we'll get in. I think there's two fights in particular um, where I think the odds are a little bit goofy, and um, I think that we're going to see them over the next two days close like close in a bit, particularly in, in the so. main event. I think I think that I do think that the main event will probably get that O'Malley will probably probably close closer closer to a 150 plus 150 underdog just based on his um celebrity and the fact that a lot of his fans and people who are going to watch this fight may it may not be on their radar because they're not i don't see them as day-to-day ufc fans when they start thinking about what they're doing this week and they'll be like oh shit sean o'malley's fighting yeah i'm uh, i guess i feel like he's been promoting it and you're right that there's like a lot of casual fans that are interested in a shot o'malley when they're not interested in a lot of he, he has been promoting it i'm just i'm surprised that his level of ce- celebrity um hasn't closed the line a bit more uh sterling is still a pretty massive favorite i i think the line's probably right where it should be right now it, and usually the lines aren't super realistic when you've got a uh you know a celebrity somebody fighter. that popular yeah yeah i mean it's interesting because sterling at the same time this is the biggest favorite he has been since before his first title shot that led into this title reign 
So he's in a he's dealing with a little very different dynamic here. He's speaking like he's as confident as ever, but yeah. you know on paper he's got more reason to be confident given that it looks like there's a there's a there's a bigger uh, kind of distance between them on the ground than there is on the feet. But man, Sean O'Malley's incredibly dangerous. He's one of the few people on planet Earth that Aljamain Sterling has fought. Maybe the only person that has a notable uh, that has a reach advantage over him and a notable height advantage over him. What? Well, one. Well, let's not get crazy. He's got, um, I think he's got a three-inch height advantage, but it's only one in, only one-inch reach advantage though. Seventy-two and seventy-one in reach. Four-inch height advantage, one-inch reach advantage, but that height makes a difference because Sean O'Malley throwing straight punches is going to go right to Aljamain's face, whereas Aljamain's going to have to aim slightly higher for his punches. And quite frankly, should Aljamain even be exchanging punches with Sean O'Malley? I think that question is worth asking. We're going to dive into all of that as we break down this card. You all know the rules. We each take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card. A regular pick is worth one point. If you pick an underdog of plus 150 to plus 249, you get two points if that underdog comes through for you. You pick an underdog of plus 250 or above and that underdog comes through you get three points nikolai so listen i have the opportunity to close the line here there's a lot of wide odds is all i'm saying there's a chance there's a chance we might have a new uh, a new leader at the end of this event. If, if you take enough wild underdogs sure but i'm gonna uh do what i can to block those opportunities for you even if it means uh, jumping on some uh hand grenades myself anyway i'm gonna kick off with first pick and Go i've it, got um I've got the uh, the women's strawweight champion, uh, Weili Zhang. I'm going to pick her over Amanda Limos. Amanda Limos is, is very strong and very powerful, but the fact of the matter is she still got caught and surprised by Jessica Andrade in a stand-up choke. And Weili Zhang can take this fight anywhere, is dangerous everywhere. Uh, Limos has the all you know always notable, always mentioned puncher's chance, uh, and I think she's got a legit one in that, but... Zhang's very durable, like um, you know we did. Like Rose, Rose caught her um, with a really, really beautifully set up, strategically placed head kick. Amanda Lemos doesn't set stuff up like that, you know. I, I just, I think that Wei Li Zhang is a smart fighter. I think she's more athletic. I think she's more technical. I think she'll be able to take this fight where she wants, uh, and pending a, you know, a wild one punch upset, which I don't think is that likely. She should be able to dominate this fight based on how experienced and technical she is. Also, in that loss to Andrade, Amanda Limos show, showed a, a kind of a, a lack of cool. Um, she didn't. She kind of got taken up by the moment. It's like if that moment got her, wait till this one. So I'm gonna go with Weili Zhang, who I think probably gets a choke, uh, a choke victory or a ground and pound victory um, inside the first seven and a half minutes, probably inside the first round. Yeah, I tend to think you're right. It's just, it's really not that simple to me in that these two are facing the most athletic person they have ever faced in their careers. By a good margin, Rose Namajunas being being a pretty close to Amanda Lemos. Rose Namajunas, as you alluded to, is more crafty, probably hits about as hard, um, but isn't just that, just this same level of athletic, powerful, strong dynamo that Amanda Lemos is. And the fact that Amanda Lemos has had a couple of five-round training camps by now, yeah, she lost to Andrade, and that is concerning. I could certainly see, uh, I could certainly see Weili Zhang kind of coming in and exploiting that sort of opening, um, especially this version of Andrade that's been looking really bad ever since that fight, right? Like she, uh, you know, Lauren Mueller, you know, aside, she's she's been getting destroyed by some of these up and comers, and Andrade is ahead of a couple of those up up and comers that destroyed um, 
Andraj and she got smoked by Andraj, right? It's it's Lemos who's getting the title shot, not those two other ladies who who dominated her. Uh, but she has since picked up that finish win over Rodriguez. She finished Michelle Waterson Gomez. Uh, she arguably shouldn't have won that fight over Angela Hill, right? And that's another concerning thing. That was just a couple of years ago. And granted, Angela Hill fights really close with a lot of people. We recently saw her get dominated. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't nearly, it, it, it was quite the opposite. If anything, Angela Hill won the second and third round, even though she got floored once or twice in the first round. I think Amanda Lemos is going to be very dangerous early. Uh, but wait, Li Zhang, one of the things that I liked about her leading up to her last couple of fights is that she had been training a fight ready. That is not the case here. The fact that Wei Li Zhang allows for four strikes to be landed on her per minute, that's concerning, right? Because Amanda Lemos lands four and a half strikes per minute, right? And if, if Amanda Lemos can land at that kind of rate, on Wei Li Zhang, there's an entirely entirely good chance that she can knock her out. Both of these women have the power to knock the other one out. I would give Lemos the edge in just power and punching power uh, when, it, when it comes to punching. I think also Lemos has the capabilities of landing the kind of head kick that Rose Namajunas did. But I think progressively over the course of this fight, every minute that goes by, Lemos is going to become less and less dangerous. Even though she has won you know, by finish in the second and third round, respectively, in her last couple of fights, um, I think she's going to become less dangerous uh, when you when you have that kind of horsepower, we've seen it time and again. People get tired, right? You have no choice when when you throw at that kind of speed that Lemos throws at. And we know that Willie Zhang is good for five rounds. She can go to a firefight for five rounds. But if the version of her that fought uh, Yuani and Jacek the first time shows up here, she's very high likelihood of getting knocked out. If Lemos can land that many strikes, she's going to take her out. But Lemos is up, but is not that high. Not nearly as high as Yan Jacek. Um, both of these women take about the same number of strikes per minute, but again, Lemos has the edge in power. Lemos also does a good job of getting takedowns. I'm also curious about how Weili Zhang is going to do against the southpaw. If I remember correctly, it was Ro Rose Namajunas' left head kick that landed, right? That's the kind of kick that Lemos is going to be throwing. So uh, I do think there's some risk here, but I have to edge with the uh, older fighter. We also have to factor in, right? We know that over the last many years, um, the records of, of a championship uh, a, a fighter in a championship fight of age 35 and above is something like 2 and 39, right? If you're 35 years old or above and you fight at 170 pounds or below, your odds of winning a title fight are extremely, extremely slim. And Lemos is 36 years old. She's beyond that threshold. I don't know that necessarily that same rule applies in the women's divisions, but just the fact that uh, uh, the fact that Zhang is under 35 at 34, you know, gives her the edge there. She's got the grappling edge, at least on paper, but I think either woman is capable of getting a takedown on either. This will be exciting, man. I'm very much looking forward to it, but I think you're making the right pick uh, fairly early in the competition. My next pick is going to be in the matchup. It's hard to be confident in any of these, Nick. I think I'm going to go ahead and take Natalia Silva to beat Andrea Lee. Andrea Lee, you know, she has the high output on times, right? At times, she looks flummoxed. She can get takedowns at times. At times, she can give up a lot of takedowns, and she ends up staying on her back for too long. Natalia Silva's takedown defense is phenomenal. Yes, the experience gap is huge here. This might be exactly the kind of matchup where the underdog, the plus 275 underdog in Andrea Lee, will take over. She has the experience that she's fought the way higher level of competition. This is really Natalia Silva's first matchup. Of, against this level of uh, opponent and for her to be this big of a favorite is kind of crazy so worst case i might just consider changing my pick to uh andrea lee if if i see something at weigh-ins that makes me confident in her she's gonna have the craft advantage but natalia silva has looked really sharp she made her ufc debut after two and a half years uh on the on the shelf 
following a contender series win, and she has made good on it, right? Winning three fights, one of them by finish with a spinning back kick to the dome. Um, I'm going to edge with Natalia Silva. I think she's a legitimate prospect, and in a three-rounder, I like her chances of looking good enough, at least in those first couple of rounds. Andrea Lee can come on strong late, and she's going to have potentially her moments, but I tend to think Natalia Silva is going to edge this one. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, the question is, do I go with a pick I believe in, or do I try to block you from getting big points? I think I'm going to try to block you from getting big points, and I kind of believe what I'm just what I'm about to say. Um, I think that Ian Machado Gary right now is a little overconfident. I think Joff Neal would have been a really tough matchup for him, as we've seen Gary uh, get hurt on the feet a couple times, and Joff Neal like, punches like a fucking truck. Um, and he, he's drawn Neil Magny, who has stepped up here, who always performs well on pay-per-views. And if Magny... Gary is going to need to starch him pretty early, or else he may find himself in a lot of trouble. Why? Because Magny can get body locks, because Magny can get you against the cage, because he can get you down. And Gary hasn't fought, uh, I don't think, a, a that kind of tenacious grappler with a sick gas tank who's going to be as annoying to fight as Neil Magny. He's going to be doing that as the, you know, the third to, in the third to last spot on the main card um, of a big pay-per-view. So yes, this kid is rose to the challenge. I don't like the tactics he used against Jeff Neal, um, calling out like his previous arrests and stuff like that to try to build hype. But Neil Magny is a spoiler. He has been a spoiler many times. Um, and he's a hard guy to have a pretty fight against unless, you know, unless you do what Lorenz Larkin did. And maybe in Machado Gary can do that. But, you know, Magny's showing up to ruin this guy's night. And I, would, and I wouldn't put him past it. I still, all things being even, pick Gary. But I think the fact that he's a minus 500 favorite um, is ridiculous. And, and doesn't acknowledge how, how much of a jerk Neil Magny has been. Uh, for other people's careers, and it 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 plus almost four hundred, plus three eighty. That makes him a what three point pick? Yeah, that would be a three point pick. He's over two fifty. Yeah, I'm gonna take the flyer on a three point pick here, and largely so that you can't. Uh, but in, you know, in case you were looking to do that, but I wouldn't be surprised. You know, maybe I won't look like it. Maybe I look like a genius. Maybe I won't. But I don't think Neil. I don't think Neil Magny is a plus four hundred underdog. Um, to any rookie fighter. Yeah, I don't disagree that, you know, it's it's not unreasonable to make this line this wide. And I think this is another example of not necessarily Dana White privilege, but just like the hype train leading to a lot of betting going on to Ian Machado Gary. Realistically, he should be maybe a minus 230 favorite at the max, right? If you're telling me he's at minus 500, that is insanity. And Neil Magnia plus 380 in most matchups is not a bad deal. But I think that what's allowed Neil Magny to do well is... First of all, his continued use of the jab. Sometimes the jab looks flailing and ineffective. Sometimes the jab is just like a piston hitting guys right square in the face. And it's fairly effective, right? His clinch game is something that a lot of people like to move forward. And he takes advantage of that by grabbing them in the clinch. Especially with his reach, you kind of have to move forward to close that distance on him more often than not. Um, and because you're moving forward in on him, he's going to grab that clinch. And what's the thing, the thing about Neil Magny is he appears to be not so strong at first. You're kind of in that clinch with him. And then he, and you, you don't realize it, but after a minute or so, you're stuck in the clinch. He's not letting you out of that clinch. You think you have the advantage. He's let, letting some pitter-patter shots on you in there. You don't have the advantage, right? You can't really get out anymore, right? And he's getting you tired in that clinch. And suddenly when you disengage from the clinch with him for those moments at a time, 
you're 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 not throwing with as much power. You're tired. And Neil Magnin takes advantage of that. Ian Machado Gary showed, at least in his last matchup, that he's the kind of guy that will uh, that will do his research. He will study tape and he will see the openings. I don't think he's gonna let himself be stuck in the clinch for with Neil Magny for long periods of time. I'm taking Ian Machado Gary. These odds are absolutely insane, but I've got to go with the favorite. And I realized that was your instinct too. Had you not been the one making this pick, and I, I respect you for making that three point flyer. But Neil Magny looking as bad as he has lately, it, it, I'm reticent to pick him as a dog. The, the the way he barely escaped with a squeaker victory over Phil Rowe, the way he was getting pieced up by Daniel Rodriguez, who got smoked by Ian Machado Gary until he Daniel Madrid. Rodriguez got tired and he was able to submit him right like this version of him is it's not a good luck Max Griffin arguably beat him there's an argument to be made that he could be 0-6 in his last six fights so I'm gonna have to go with Ian Machado Gary despite the fact that he's relatively uh you know new and doesn't have the craft of Neil Magny my next pick is going to be in the matchup I think I've got to go ahead and take Gregor Rodriguez to beat Dennis Tulyulin Gregory Rodriguez could literally just go in, get a takedown, submit him, move on with his life, maybe even get a bonus from it. But instead, he's probably going to swing and take a huge risk. And Dennis Tulyulin, he can land a hard bomb. And Gregory Rodriguez is not the most durable guy, especially for how just ma- massively built he is. He's He's got kind of a fragile chin for 185. So I'm going to have to give the edge to uh, Gregory Rodriguez despite that, right? Despite that, he still should be tougher, more experienced at the high level. He's got a huge uh, advantage on the ground, huge advantage in wrestling. If his team can get him to wrestle, he's going to beat Den- Dennis Tulyulin who has terrible wrestling defense, terrible ground game, and, uh, you know, decent, I guess, clubber striker. Yeah, I love G-Rod. Um, I'm a fan of his. I like him on Twitter. But holy shit, he got knocked silly by a punch that did not look like it was that damaging. Yeah, um, by a guy lost... that might not be UFC level, too. So, that yeah, that was a, bit, that was a big concern. But I think he's going to – I think he knows what to do to get one back here. Um but who knows? Who knows where you know where his head's at if he's had yeah. time to recover? But still, I uh, I like you know I think I would have gone with that with that pick. Um, yep. I forgot one of my UFC crushes, Mourinho Morose, is on this card, but I'm not nice. gonna I'm gonna ignore that right now. Uh, I picked the main event. Listen, yeah, Sean O'Malley sometimes says some things that are correct, and he's bold about it, like how he calls MMA managers scumbags. I appreciate a lot of what this kid is doing yes he triggers me because he's emblematic of a lot of the two three generations behind us kind of person that i sort of can't stand um but he's a, but he is a really good striker the fact of the matter is he has not had to face even a pretty good uh grappler i guess you could say peter jan's okay but peter jan's not as good as i thought he was um and that's not the way that peter jan really i think tried to fight that fight and Aljamain Ster- Sterling is... Actually, Peter Yan did go for multiple takedowns and got okay positions here and there. Here and, Yeah, here and there. Um, but I think he brawled more than he... I think he fought emotionally after he'd been hit. Um, and I still think he won the fight. But Al- Aljamain Sterling has been di- you know, disrespected, unappreciated for like much of his run. This is because he's fighting kind of a bad boy. The first time that I think for MMA... For, most hardcore fans, Sterling is entering as a favorite. Like people are cheer, we're pushing for him. We want him to get his due. We want him to win, vacate, and let, let you know get some fresh shit going on. Let Marab, uh, you know, clean up that bottleneck. But the fact is, is that like as good a striker as O'Malley is, he usually pieces up guys over two, three, four rounds. You know, we're not we're not talking about somebody with a Dan Henderson right hand here, um, and. Sterling's 
ability to 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 get in close, to get good positions, to get the back. How uh, with skin for skinny leg, tall ass guys for like Sterling to get down low and uh, and get this get this guy down um, and then strangle him probably pretty easily. Like it seems like an eventuality to me. Like I don't think it's going to be close. I think Aljamain Sterling strangles Sean O'Malley in the first round. Yeah, so you're basically predicting a Corey Sanhagen, uh, Aljamain Sterling type of matchup. I don't blame you. I think there's a little harder that there's a, a little harder than that. I mean, Sanhagen like hitting his first kick. I think O'Malley's going to be cautious because he he watched that happen to Sanhagen. But in the in the first or second round, Sterling's going to get position, and he may need to eat a couple of shots. But I don't. I don't think I don't think O'Malley for the most part is like oh you know is like oh is a one hit striker is a one hit KO guy, and if you're not if he's not going to one hit KO Sterling he's going to get fucking subbed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's the thing: do, do I think it's a lot to ask for for uh, him to survive on the ground? No, I think it's possible. Having said that, it's 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 also very possible that uh, Sterling is just going to run right through him. Uh, I do think this is uh, this is similar to a couple of those recent matchups we've had, where we expect like the ground being the ground game to be so wide apart, kind of like uh, Blahovic and and uh, uh, Alex Pereira, right? Where we ex- like some people expect the Blahovic to just take him down and run through him. It's not that simple. The dude's a survivor, kind of like Marina Rodriguez. He can get dominated on the ground. He'll survive and he'll make it through the round. Uh, Jarzino Rosenstreak is also like that, right? Not much of an offensive ground game at all, but he can survive in bad positions, make it to the next round, land a bomb. And they, all three of these fighters have done it multiple times at this point. Yeah, yeah well, you're, those people, though, you're talking about very physically strong fighters. Sean O'Malley's not a physically strong fighter. Yeah, but he does have the leverage with his long limbs. I, I see where you're coming from. He does have the leverage with those long limbs. But look, here's the thing. This is interesting because this is an elite wrestler and grappler. And I mean wrestler and grappler as two separate elements, right? Aljamain yes. Sterling is a legitimate Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He has excellent submissions at the elite level of mixed martial arts. He's a legitimate elite wrestler, even though he wrestled Division Two, he, he is somebody that out-wrestled uh, Henry Cejudo in his last matchup. Took him down multiple times, which, by the way, I predicted he would. I predicted he would out-wrestle the guy. The guy's fantastic, fantastic grappling in every element and he's facing this elite offensive boxer right and, and i say boxer channel Malley has some good kicks he has those those nasty uh, uh snap kicks to the body that he throws as a straight kicker especially at the kind of range that he likes to fight at he throws decent head kicks too occasionally right he's mostly a really clean offensive boxer i say offensive because he can be hittable too right aljo doesn't have the reach advantage for the first time in a long time and Aljo is the big favorite for the first time in a long time. So it's a very different dynamic from what Aljo's used well, to. Also, yep. Just to interrupt for a second. We've yep. seen striker we've seen worse strikers than Aljo turn into godlike look like godlike boxers when their grappling is in the head of their opponent. True. Their oppo- and that's yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Sean O'Malley starts thinking about getting, you know, getting body locked, getting wrapped up. And while he's while he's thinking about that. Aljo switches levels and fucking cracks him. Entirely possible. Aljo is also really good at catching those kicks, right? And and O'Malley might might be smart enough not to throw kicks, but also it's taken away a major element of his weapon. So O'Malley is super accurate. He's very fast. He hits very hard. He's got incredibly long arms on top of the fact that he is very tall. For this weight division, I mean, right? Sterling is really hard to land clean on, though. His defense is unorthodox. So, like, on the one hand, he's hard to land clean on. On the other hand, he puts himself out of position with some of the defensive movements that he does. But his head is constantly moving. His hands relatively high up by his face, which is not that common among MMA fighters, which is insane to me, right? 
Munoz's kicking game, uh, in which we saw Pedro Munoz face Sean O'Malley. And, and that first round Pedro Munoz took, mainly because Sean O'Malley couldn't throw his punches. Why he couldn't throw his punches? Because Pedro Munoz wasn't coming into punching distance. He stayed at kicking range. He even pressured at times, but stayed at kicking range and threw consistent kicks. And a lot of them were checked by O'Malley, but he was the only one that really tried anything in that round. So he won that round, right? So what we're seeing is that Sean O'Malley, um, he can struggle against a really good pressure fighter who's durable. He can also struggle against a range kicker. And you know who's a really good range kicking game? Aljamain motherfucking Sterling, he can throw pitter-patter kicks at you from a distance that where you can't punch him. He's done it so many times, on top of him being pretty hard to hit, right? Sterling doesn't finish very much anymore, right? But O'Malley isn't finishing at a high level either, right? The last time O'Malley finished was before the last time he fought somebody in the top 10. And, you know, him him facing Piorian, and to be honest, he probably did more damage on Piorian. Maybe he did deserve that fight in retrospect. I like to watch that fight because I, I did think Piorian had the edge and I picked him and that's one of those picks that screwed me and allowed you to pick up the edge that you've picked up on me. But but O'Malley did a shitload of damage, probably more damage on Piorian than vice versa in that matchup, even though Piorian was able to out-wrestle him at times and out-position him. Um, and so there's there's so many elements that, that that are kind of working into this game on top of Chido Vera's ground and pound. Yes, he hurt him to the legs by kicking him, um, but 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 it was on the ground that he landed some elbows from guard, knocked out uh, Sean O'Malley. Right, it wasn't like a leg injury ended the fight. Yeah, the leg injury maybe put him on his back, but he was ground and pounded. You can still defend yourself even if your leg is hurt, especially if you can keep your composure. Could his composure have improved since then? Yes, especially from what we saw in that Piotr Riam fight. But um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Sterling on this one. I have a concern about him coming right back into a training camp after three months. Um, O'Malley's got a good chin, but his his injury durability is not good. Right, he's had hip surgery at one point. He's had serious leg injuries in the middle of fights. So I, I gotta go with Sterling. I gotta go with the with, with the sure bet. I'm concerned that Sterling is on his last fight at 135. Like, it, th- does he have that retirement mindset of like I just need to make the weight this one last time and I can move on? This should be an easy matchup. I can do this kind of thing. If he underestimates him, he could be in trouble. But I agree with you. On I don't. This. I don't really think anybody in the in the Saralongo camp is ever allowed to underestimate everybody. I think when the, when those guys fail. It's because the wheels have come off the bus physically, and they're just their their bodies can no longer do what they've been trained. I think they're extremely mentally strong crew. Speaking of Chris Weidman, yeah, you're not kidding. My next pick is going to be involving the other Longo, former Sarah Longo pro, uh, prospect, former Sarah Longo champion, Chris Weidman and Brad Tavares. It's an interesting matchup because both of these guys could be argued are past their prime. A lot of the things that made them dangerous, that made them good at the height of their careers is no longer the case, right? Brad Tavares is not nearly as durable as he used to be. He's not as effective of a kickboxer against up-and-coming prospects as he used to be. He can get blown out of there by but by like a pretty serious prospect with serious power. We've seen it even with guys like Edmund Tverdian, who, or is it Edmund Tverdian? What is the name of that gentleman, Nikolai? Shabazian. Shabazian. Edmund Shabazian, that's right. We've seen it even in cases like that where Shabazian has proven not to be a serious contender, but he was able to starch him and get him out of there in the first round. Good news for Brad Tavares is that Chris Weidman is not likely to start you in the first round. Chris Weidman is also coming into this fight on a 1-5 and five streak in his last six bouts. Um, sorry, in his last 1-4 and four in his last five bouts. And he's something like 2-7 and seven in his last um, eight bouts, right? Like, not very good on paper. His losses, though, are to Dominic Reyes, you know, when Dominic Reyes was at his height. Uh, Jacare Souza, when Jacare still had some semblance of, of uh, athleticism and, and prerogative left. Musasi, y'all, Romero, Luke Rockhold, right? Luke Rockhold at the height of his career, at the very, very peak. Um, and some of these were funky, funny, too. Just, Remember, he was he was winning till he wasn't. He was winning the Jacare fight. It was a great and competitive fight. Like, 
There were a couple where certainly there were some where he got blown out, like like Reyes. Yeah. But yeah. Yoel Romero, and, Luke Rockhold, and um, and the one I just mentioned, and Musasi had a funky ending. But Musasi yeah, was Romero, Romero Rockhold, and Jacare. You know, yeah. Weidman wasn't just competitive; he was winning until he lost. He he was, but that's the thing is that his durability is not the same, right? He got finished by Musa, uh, he got finished by Musasi by TKO, got finished by El Romero by TKO, but got finished by Luke Rockhold by TKO, finished by Jacare Souza, who's the submission master by TKO. He got flash, not he got flash, not, flash KO'd by Kelvin Gastelum. Right, right. I mean, that was more than a flash. That was a straight up. I mean, that, that was. Oh yeah, well, he, saying, he got dropped. I'm, I'm calling it flash because right. he got up, but he yeah, was. Yeah, no, you're right. It was it was he, a flash knockdown. Went. Yeah, flash knockdown yeah. rather, and then and then he came back and submitted him, but that was back in 2017, and then he had this cumbersome, awkward fight with Amari Ahmedov in 2020 before Ahmedov went off to the PFL, and man, that fight could have easily gone either way. And Ahmedov is not exactly like top level UFC UFC caliber, you know. Before that infamous Uriah Hall leg break, he threw a big right leg kick. Uriah Hall checked it, and Chris Weidman's leg breaks in half, much like Anderson Silva and Conor McGregor back in the day. Anderson Silva made the comeback since then. Conor McGregor has not, and Conor McGregor's leg break was longer ago, if I'm not mistaken. So this is Chris Weidman coming back after over two years on the shelf, and he's facing off with Tavares. Now, Tavares doesn't have the power that usually spooks Weidman, but Tavares is very difficult to put down. Mar- uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Chris Weidman doesn't have the power that, that has been hurting Brad Tavares lately. He doesn't have the striking necessarily for that. I'm going to go with Brad Tavares. I think he's got more left in the tank. I know I know their ceilings are very different. Chris Weidman's ceiling is as one of the best fighters on planet Earth. And Brad Tavares' ceiling as, is as a gatekeeper. I just feel like at this point in their careers, given everything they've been through, you got to go one direction pretty clearly on this one. And it's got to be Brad Tavares. He, he's not at his peak, but Chris Weidman is way past it after a horrific leg break. Um, you know, it's hard to be confident in Weidman. He's do- no longer training at Sarah Longo. training out in North Carolina. Barely sees those Sarah Longo people. I'm sure he's in contact with Ray Longo himself. But but that is essentially where we are now. I don't have confidence in Weidman. I've got to go with Tavares. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. First of all, there's... Is his leg going to hold together? And Brad, Brad Tavares is still, you know... He's no punk. He's, a, he's still a UFC fighter. He's still a... He's not as durable... Like as it used to be, but he's not going to roll over, you know. And at Ed Weidman's age, with everything that he's been through, Chris Weidman beat Anderson Silva the night, uh, the night that my daughter was born. My daughter's going into fifth grade. Wow. That was you know that was the last time that Chris Weidman, you know, was really dominant. He had the Belfort Belfort fight and Machida fight were exciting, and he did well, but they weren't dominant victories. And it's he had a great ascent. He was the guy for the moment. He was really skilled, and the division caught up. And as he entered his thirties, his body broke down. That that's logic, particularly if he was a clean fighter. And I don't know if he was or wasn't, but I'm sure after Usada he was. But like, yeah, people aren't you know gen- he's not a genetic superhero. Um, and most no, aren't. he's really not. So and, and he was like, a world a lot of, at one point, right? He looked untouchable. A lot of at one things. Point. A lot of things would have to go right. Uh, you know, he'd have to win all his roles. Um, so I agree. I agree with the pick, and I hope it's not. My big fear, actually, for this fight is that it's so. If it's depressing or stressful, that it impacts uh, Sterling's mindset. Um, if it's yeah, if it's well, that's the question sad, mark. If it's if it's sad to watch or if his leg explodes again. Yeah, I'm sure you, you know that's a fair point, but at the same time. 
they literally, uh, I was watching UFC Embedded. These guys haven't seen each other in years. Yeah, they're, I'm sure they're friendly and they respect oh, really? each other and they've okay. had times together. But Chris Weidman trains in North Carolina predominantly, almost exclusively. But uh, Aljamain Sterling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And Aljamain Sterling trains uh, predominantly in Las Vegas, sometimes makes a trek to Long Island. So both these guys are removed from the home base, long distance between them now. And, uh, and, and so I, I don't think it'll be as much of an issue because also Sterling, like he knows where Chris Weidman is, and I'm sure he's mentally prepared for this. I would imagine, I would yeah. hope. Again, with only three months to prepare, well, though, you never know. Well, I'm going to take another underdog pick next and i hope that i'm not getting overzealous and blocking you and that it costs me but i don't want you to pick up two here i really didn't like the way that cheeto vera looked in his last fight and i thought pedro munoz looked really good against sean o'malley um at least for a bit i also think pedro munoz is a very good first round fighter and marlon vera is the worst first round fighter um so like in three rounds I think this one's going to be razor close. I think plus 175 underdog is too much for Munoz. I think he's a really tough guy. He's not like Yeah, I don't he's not going to he's not going to roll over for Vera. And I think I do think Vera's good. Really good. But I think Munoz is good too and may even be a tiny bit more well-rounded. I think if the the fight goes to different places, but mostly it's the fast start. I think I think Pedro Munoz should be able to pocket the first and um and i think i think that he's not going to give up the second easily to vera so i'm i'm willing to take you know my second underdog pick of the night i hope one of them pays off i'm going for some kill shots here between this and magni but i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with pedro munoz marlon vera's head has not seemed right to me um his last couple fights well, I mean, Marlon, yeah, it's, it's been tricky, right? Like, he's, for a while now, won a lot of his fights, but had a lot of rough moments on the way to that win. The Sean O'Malley match, to be honest, was relatively short. Jose Aldo, right? It was a competitive fight, but Jose Aldo was able to get top position on him. Jose Aldo, uh, Jose Aldo had the, like, classic, as you alluded to, first-round win against him, right? Like, he loses m- the great majority of the first round he competes almost no matter who he fights, which is kind of wild, right? And then we have David Grant, competitive fight, Arguable could be gone either way. Frankie Edgar, he was losing to the ghost of Frankie Edgar for the entire two-round period until he was knocked down in the third. To be fair, he did some damage in the second. Rob Font, outstruck by a wide margin the entire matchup, ends up hurting him a few times and winning the decision because he hurt him multiple times throughout that fight. But again, if it wasn't for those moments where he hurt him, if it wasn't for Rob Font's kind of shaky durability lately, I don't think that fight would have gone his way. And we saw Rob Font get dominated by Sanhagen, who also dominated Cheeto Vera. Dominic Cruz dominated the majority of that fight, except for the couple times he got dropped and then that knockout in the fourth round. So is Pedro Munoz likely to... Uh-huh. And also, let's just say Chris Gutierrez was walking on water after ending the career of Frankie Edgar, and I believe was a favorite in that fight. Right, yeah, right? he was. I mean, favorite, Do- yeah. I mean, Dominic Cruz is crafty, and he's hard to KO, so like, I get that Cruz beat Munoz. Cruz is, Cruz is going to be tough for anybody, but like Munoz put it on Chris Gutierrez. Like he he won that fight and everywhere that it went. And I, yeah, this dude's not going to run. Tito Vera is an intimidating guy. He's a great fighter. Pedro Munoz is too, and he's not going anywhere. Yeah, motherfucker's I, I not going to back down. He's not going to back down, and he's and he's better than a plus one seventy underdog. So I'm going to take the flyer. Plus, anyway, sorry, you, I interrupted you, your. 
No, no worries at all. Plus, if you look at uh, Munoz's losses, right, he's, he lost to John Donson by very competitive split decision. John Donson's still kind of killing it, even though he's on the bare-knuckle scene, right? He's a champion there now. Not that that means, you know, anything compared to a UFC champion. But Aljamain Sterling, nothing to be ashamed of. Landed some hard shots on Sterling. He's the best bantamweight weight maybe in history, certainly in the world right now. Frankie Edgar, split decision. I thought that Pedro Munoz won that fight pretty clearly. Uh, it was semi-competitive, but it was not a Frankie Edgar win, in my opinion. He he he, no, he, he hurt he hurt Edgar. Edgar had no idea where he was at the end of that fight. Yeah, but again, throughout that match, I thought he had a decent lead for at least three, if not four rounds. Um, Jimmy Rivera, he beat. That's a damn good win. Jose Aldo, he lost to. So did Cheeto Vera. Dominic Cruz, he he lost to and he hurt him. Same thing with Vera. If that was a three-round fight, Dominic Cruz walks away with a win, right? And that's really, you're right. You, you made a big factor of the fact that this is a three-round fight. It's going to be competitive. At these odds, I think you made the right flyer shot. Um, and listen, if both of your underdog picks come through, that's an extra five points coming your way. So that could be huge for you, man. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Andre Petrovsky and Gerald Mearshart. Petrovsky is a tough guy, uh, an ultimate fighter guy. And he, you know, he got caught there. Uh, by the eventual winner of his season, right? But he trains with that Henzo Gracie Philly team, and we saw some pretty high-level fighters coming out of that team, particularly when it comes to their grappling. And Petrovsky's number one kind of number one tool in MMA is his grappling. He is first and foremost a submission grappler, pretty good positionally as well. Um, he's also athletic. He's dynamic. He hits hard standing, man. He's powerful. He has some pretty legitimate training partners like Joe Pfeiffer and um, and uh, what's the name of that 170-pounder who, who was matched... What is the name of that gentleman? I can't remember. But he trains with some really, really solid uh, uh, guys, right? And he's clearly leveled up since entering the UFC. He's shown that uh, Sean Brady is who I was who I was thinking of earlier. He's clearly shown that like he has some dyna- dynamism to his game. He's beaten Ovin St. Pru in a grappling match, right? The fact that he's competing in grappling matches in between these fights. The fact that he beat Phil Hawes, Eric Anders, Ovin St. Pru in grappling matches recently. Huge credit to him, man. Um, he lost a brand battle on tough, but ever since then, he's been looking really, really solid. I'm going to go with him, man. I know that Nick Maximov is probably his best win on, in the MMA scene. But, you know, the concern with Andre Petrovsky is that he's super dangerous early. He has a tepid second round. He starts to get tired, and then he seems to catch a, a second wind in that third round. And we've seen him get a couple of finishes late uh, late in some of his fights um, because of that third, because of that second win. We saw it against uh, Yao Zhang Hu and uh, My- Michael Gilmore. Um, back in 2021, right? So, like, his, his first couple of fights in the UFC, low-level opposition, but he got the third-round finish, which is a testament to the fact that his cardio is probably in a better place than maybe we expected, the fact that he's capable of getting that second win. And he's facing Mirchart, who is... Dude, he's, he's the kind of guy that if he makes it through one round, he could beat just about anybody, it seems like. Much faster opposition, much more dangerous opposition. He's got this slow-motion southpaw game that is so consistent at the same pace throughout a fight that it tends to work on guys that tend to, to tire. So I realize there's a risk here. This was a three-pointer for Gerald Mirchard if he was a big enough underdog. I probably would have seriously considered pulling the trigger on him, but I'm going to go with uh, Andre Petrovsky, knowing that Gerald Mirchard is also a damn good submission grappler, mind you. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's a really good pick. Um, I, I think, is this another, is this another underdog for points pick? Is it, Nick? question. I'm thinking about another, another. Go for it, man. Points, points get an underdog pitch. Yeah, I think, listen, she doesn't, she doesn't fight enough, but I don't think, um, you know, losses in the last five years only to Jennifer, to Jennifer Maya, Angie Hill, and Carla Esparza, um, should make Kareen Silva a favorite over uh, Mariana Mar- uh, Morose. And yes, I have a crush on her. Like, so does everybody. Um, 
and she uh, she's only plus one thirty five. But I'm still gonna I'm still gonna take her here. I've got to agree with you. I think Kareem Silva hasn't necessarily shown that she's ready for this level of opposition in the UFC thus far. She got it basically a couple of cans out of there, right? She's also hasn't necessarily had the chance to show that she can fight past the first round. And against Marina Moroz, you're probably not going to get her out of there, man. You you have a chance at winning a decision nope. against her if you're also crafty, if you can outgrapple her possibly, right? But she has good offensive wrestling, really sharp boxing, trains their American top team. Um, you know, I, I don't love leaning toward fighters who have an OnlyFans account. Like, I feel like there's a, another source of revenue and probably a bigger source of revenue than she gets from the UFC. And so how much of her, her focus is on mixed martial arts versus... Dude, it's... Uh-huh. I mean... No, hear me out. That, it is an that, alternate that career part that of the, gets that part of the world, even the yeah. nuns have only fan accounts. I mean, no, I, I I get that, but then how good a nuns are they if they're if they're making so much money off OnlyFans, right? Like that's my concern. But her, she's experienced. She is crafty. She's got a, a crap load of UFC fights alone versus Karina Silva's two UFC fights, right? And she's shown and she that she can get prospects it. out of there. She does. And she's t- I mean, she's freaking tough. Like, she really is. Yeah. You know, she's. I just again, she's only. She got. I got she. Got Agapova out of there. She beat Maria Brena Silva. She beat Sabina Mezzo. Losing to Angela Hill, Carlo Esparza, and Jennifer Maya, you know, only since in the last six years is pretty good. You go a little further than that. Yes, yeah, she lost to, you know, Valerie Letourneau, but she looked, she's looked really, really good. And Jennifer Maya is a, is a tough out. That's a title contender, you know, fighter, former title holder, an Invicta. But like, you're talking about somebody that won rounds against, um, you know, Shevchenko, so... Well, that's the thing, is that one around against her, yeah, but that's the thing, is that it seems like Marina Moroz's ceiling is that top five range. But, but below that, I don't think Kareem, I don't think Kareem Silva's partying in that top five range. That's what She's I'm saying, keep, that's my point, right? Yeah, the Iron Lady's gonna keep the Iron Gate, baby. Yeah, and, and all likelihood, I think she will. And again, you got to look at the people that she's beaten. She's either even beaten serious prospects, title contenders like Meyer Buena Silva. Right, she has a win over her by decision because she's incredibly hard to finish. If Myra Bona Silva can't finish you, I can't imagine that Karina Silva is going to have a, a good time of it. And again, you look at her UFC career, not a single, not a single time has she been finished, and she only has losses in the UFC, right? So so I, I expect that she makes it through potentially a first competitive round. Maybe even Karina Silva looks good in the first round, but uh, her veteranship and, and her, her craft will take over, and I think she'll be able to get top position eventually and, and honestly maybe even outstrike her at a distance, especially as Karina Silva starts to tire out. Um, we've only got two f- more fights on the docket, and that makes this my final pick, Nikolai. I'm going to take from the Mario batista Damon Blackshire matchup. This is an interesting one, right? There's a potentially a, an opportunity for two points in Damon Blackshire. I like the guy. I've liked him ever since his UFC debut. He's a really credible grappler. He's really good offensive wrestling. I think he may maybe he may have wrestled Division Two, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's really athletic. He's strong. He's he's big for the weight division. But that's part of my concern. He's taking this fight in what is it a week or two notice right after getting a very recent, very quick win. Um, I'm sorry. He's, he's taking this fight just a couple a week or two after having fought on a few days notice after getting a a, a win in which he was unscathed recently. Uh, against basically, you know, a, a, a guy that, an opponent who was making his UFC debut, right? So, like, a journeyman who was making his UFC debut. So, yeah, he smoked him. He got a twister. It was impressive by Damon Blackshire. And his striking has looked really effective against lower-level competition. Again, Mario Batista is by far the best guy he's fought. Mario Batista is red hot. Mario Batista trains with Sean O'Malley. They're really good friends. I wonder, by the way, if Mario Batista is to lose this fight, whether that might affect Sean O'Malley, because I know they really are tight. They really are good training partners together. Um, but, you know, you look at his wins, Mario Batista. They're not impressive. Like, Jay Perrin, not a winner. Brian Gallagher, he's okay. Benito Lopez, at the end, tail end of his career, 
Um, sorry, not the tail end of his career, but again, not, not an elite guy by any means, right? Guido Ganechi, you know, doesn't really win a whole lot in the UFC, but he's smoking these people for the most part. Jay Perrin, he decision because Jay Perrin is tough, but he he ran through Brian Kelleher. He ran through Benito Lopez and Guido Ganechi. His grappling is fantastic. So on the ground, this will be entertaining. This will be fun to watch. There's a chance Jamin Blackshear has the wrestling advantage, which again is part of the reason I, I'm thinking about pulling toward him. He should be in high spirits. He should be very confident coming off of that big win. But Mario Batista has been in full training camp. I know he's changed opponents last minute, but he hasn't had a fight recently. He doesn't have to cut weight again for the second time in... in hold on, I'm quickly going to check. Damon Blackshear fought, was it just a couple of days ago? Yeah, he just fought on the 12th man, seven days ago, right? I mean, that that being a chief reason, I've got to go with Mario Batista. I like Mario Batista a lot. I have concerns about his longevity. I have concerns about the fact that he's extremely aggressive early, and if he doesn't finish, he will he tire. But I'm going to assume that this level of UFC, UFC experience he has, in other words, this many fights, is going to pull him through here. I realize there's risk, but I'm going to go with Mario Batista, knowing that this could be risky because Damon Blackshear might just come through. Yeah, Blackshear's got that momentum thing going on. Like, and sometimes it goes well for people when they take uh, they take you know two fights so quickly. Um, those kind of turnarounds. The um, yeah, my next my next pick, and I think you're wrong. I actually think I have a pick, and then you've got one more pick. Um, well, there's no, there's really only one fight left, I believe, Nick. Do you have no, more there's than two. that on your docket? There, there's yeah. what are the fights? Um, there, I'm going to pick Brad Katona over Cody Gibson because I don't I'm not a big fan of Cody Gibson and I think Katona's done better despite its loss to Hunter Azure. And then after that, you've got the Kurt uh, Austin Hubbard uh, Kurt uh, Kurt. Uh, what's his name? Oh, Harborough, I see. Right? Kurt Hullabaugh. I don't know why I don't have that on my docket. I'm sorry, man. You're right. So you're taking Brad Katona. Um, I tend to agree with you. The thing with Brad Katona is he's he's fairly talented, but he trains at, at uh, SBG Ireland. And I know it's supposed to be like a great gym, but it's not. It's just not that great. I mean, he's he's done stuff with Johnny Walker. I think Brad Katona is still a decent fighter despite him washing out of the UFC. After two losses, the problem is with Brad Katona is that he's not very dangerous. But he's consistent. He's offensive. He has a high output. Um, he's got good offensive wrestling. He's got shitty defensive wrestling. That's his big issue. As much as he can take anyone down, most people can take him down. Cody Gibson is a damn good wrestler. So he has the capability of doing that. But Cody Gibson is also 35, 36 years old and 135 pounds, right? So this is where the wheels start to fall off. He injured his knee on the Ultimate Fighter. Both of these guys, by the way, are fighting for the tough finale, quote-unquote, championship at 135 pounds. This is a pretty good season because they had a bunch of veterans who still had a lot left in the tank. Certainly enough to get these low-level prospects out of there. And uh, and Cody Gibson ran through his competition. Brad Katona was a little bit more competitive with, with his opponents because, again, he's not super dangerous. He's not a finisher. Um, and Brad Katona, honestly, had an extremely competitive second fight that could have gone either way. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on Brad Katona. I think his consistency, his output is going to be there. And I'm concerned about Cody Gibson's durability as far as not his ability to take a shot, but but the fact that he injury-wise, he's had issues. He had a, he had a pretty serious, uh, I think it was a meniscus tear in his knee um, on tough. And, and uh, I wonder how... How how much better his knee he's is? Also, mm-hmm. He's also just lost a lot more. He has at a at a regional level. And to be fair, in the UFC, he he you know he had a hard time in the UFC as well. But he went against against guys like Aljamain Sterling on the come up, man. Like if you look at his career retrospectively in the UFC, he was put in there with some sharks, and you can't. Really oh, yeah, he fought. Him. Yeah, he fought Marab, and yeah, he he's right. been in there with with some guys. But he's also lost to dudes that were not that good. Yeah, yeah, on the regional scene. And I wonder, listen, his motivation might be at the peak. Uh, this Ultimate Fighter exposure may have exposed him to maybe a training camp that he otherwise didn't didn't get the opportunity to, oh, to train with that level of opposition. Rather, I'm sorry, he lost, he lost um, 
Gibson lost to Sterling on the way up. Katona lost to Murab. That sounds so correct. So they both, right. they both, I mean, six and one, half a dozen. Like yeah, they've both been in agreed. there. They've both yeah. been in there with monsters. But Brad Katona, by the way, if he wins this, if you and I are correct, it's going to be the first and only two-time tough champion. Is that a big deal? Really, really? No. But um, the fact that he want, that he will have won if he pulls this off a veteran season, this is like legitimate opposition. It'll be impressive if he can pull this off. So so good on him if he can be the the guy with that legacy because, you know, that's a label yeah, very, and, very few other people are going to have. And going split decision with Timur Valiev is nothing to be ashamed of. Like, Agreed. Agreed. That's a fair point. Timur Valiev was the best guy on that show. I believe that, and every fighter on that show who trained with him believes that. So it's a big credit to him that it was even a competitive fight. Brad Katona's legit, man, despite his uh, training circumstances. Maybe I'm not giving John, John Kevin enough credit given his recent success-ish in the UFC with, you know, now that he got some athletic fighters under him. Those, those majority of those Irish guys outside of Conor McGregor were just not there athletically. Um, and then we have the Kurt Holoba-Austin Hubbard fight. Kurt Holoba also had a rough UFC stint, 0-4 in the UFC, and he came back here on tough. Um... You know, just a couple of regional fights in, and he comes back on tough. He gets a couple of first round, you know, first and second round wins, and then he does really well on tough. He he finished both of his opponents on the Ultimate Fighter, um, and dude, that makes that makes a big difference, right? The way that he performed with his power. The problem is he tended to taper off and get tired over the course of a fight, even though he looked good against Jason Knight in that last fight, um, and and his takedown defense is not very good. And he's fighting an opponent here in Austin Hubbard who has high output, who's going to make you tired if you have cardio issues, and who's going to go for takedowns as well. Trains at elevation, trains with a high-level elite team, an elevation fight team. And again, this is a guy who also didn't have the easiest trek in the UFC. He lost, uh, he he basically traded wins and losses over his UFC career. Lost to Davi Ramos, Mark Madsen, Joe Selecki, and Vince Pichel. These are higher-level prospects than Kurt Holub, but it's safe to say. Also, the difference is that this fight is a hundred. Is it one hundred and fifty-five pounds? It should be. It should be one forty-five. I think it is at one. It's one hundred and fifty-five pounds, right? Kurt Holoba used to fight, if I'm not mistaken, at one hundred and forty-five pounds. Let me let me double check that. I could be wrong about that. One second. No, it seems like one fifty-five was where it was where he competed largely. No, he fought at one forty-five in the UFC. He lost to uh, Honey Barcelos again. Not Shane Burgos. These are not. Uh, Tiago Moises, right? These are not guys to be ashamed of losing to. Took that fight with Tiago Moises, one one weight division up. Austin Hubbard's a big guy, has the cardio advantage. Will probably go for takedowns and get them. Um, I, he's a young man in his prime. He's 31 years old versus Kurt Holoba, who is on the very tail end of his career. Apparently was retired, and his manager convinced him to go on tough. He's 36 years old at, at uh, 155 pounds. So I've got to lean toward Austin Hubbard here. Yeah, I, I also like Austin Hubbard there. Man, it's interesting. Like this could this one could be a big swing. I took a lot of underdogs. Like, yeah, you really did, and and honestly, like you have a chance of, of doing well here because a lot of your a few of your first picks, like you have Weili Zhang, you have Ian Machado, Gary, you have uh, no, I took I took, Ma- I took I took I took oh Mag- you're right you, you you took Magni, so you took that three point swing. So like I feel like that if it was a two pointer, I probably would have gone with Ian Machado, Gary, but three pointer man, like it's not a bad idea to For, go with Magni. If Ma- I mean, I hope one of Magni or Munoz pays off. Morose, I just can't pick against her until she Same shows here. me that she's not that good. Losing, losing to Jennifer Maya is what you do if you're not in the top three. I agree. Like, I couldn't agree so, with you more, man. Um, but G, I mean, G Rod could get starched out of nowhere on your end. I yeah, don't true. think. I think we're. I think you're right about Weidman. We probably one of us should have picked that sooner, but it's not. But you the know, thing is, Brad Katona. It's hard to rely on him too because he's clearly Tavares. past his prime as well. Brad, Brad Tavares, excuse me, yeah. Yeah, no, he is past his prime, and, and like, last thing to go is power. Weidman probably still punches hard, but Weidman's also not durable, so it's... And he's slow, too. Yeah, it's true. But the thing is, Tavares has still been getting in there, and Weidman, 
Weidman was f the wheels were coming off the bus before the wheel actually fell off the bus. Yeah, you're and now right. he spent like two years getting the wheel reattached. Yep. And it's like it's fucking this is not a forgiving this is not a forgiving business. No, it's really not. And um, Weidman's also talking about like like the fact that he's only fighting to go for the title, like it's kind of delusional. If he well, thinks, not, like, oh, not only that, he, he he went out and said how disrespected he feels to be the head, the top prelim. I mean, well, well, here's the thing: Chris Weidman has like some exorbitant amount of Instagram followers. So, like, as far as intrigue, as far as like people tuning in, he might be like the second or third biggest name on this card, man. I mean, I suppose. I know Ian Machado Gary's convinced himself that he's the reason people are tuning in this pay per view because he's delusional, but. He's one million followers on Instagram. Chris Weidman was, dude. That's serious fucking pull. Yeah, it Those is. But they, remember, probably will everyone needs get to understand yeah. that strategically, they always put someone bigger on that prelim so that yeah. it drives conversions. It's true, and also it's exciting fights that drives conversions. So if they can get, you know, if they can, uh, if Chris Weidman can fall down onto his back unconscious, um, then, I mean, I know. suppose it's also strange that their conversion fight is one that could very easily end in an injury TKO and be unpleasant for everyone. But not only that, but if Chris Wyman gets top position on a couple of these rounds, it's going to be incredibly boring. Yeah, right, because he's not—he's right. not likely to, to smoke back to tone. I mean, it's possible he can get him a serious ground and pound. It's just like require Chris Wyman that we haven't seen in many, many years. That'll do it, Nick. This is this is an interesting one. I, I think you got some great early picks, and then I think you took some pretty interesting chances. I think like if one of your three, one of your three um, risks, or one of your three, uh, well, actually it's two underdogs, right, that are worth uh, two and three points. If one of those two comes out, you absolutely made the right call in making both of those calls. So I'm very intrigued by how this will turn out, and I've got to consider whether I want to, whether I want to put, you know, get Kurt Holubaw as a two point underdog. Um, consider whether you know Gerald Mirchard is worth a swing since Andre Petrovsky will get tired. You know, there's some opportunities here, like uh, on my end, that I can switch picks and and take that risk. But uh, but we'll see what happens as the weigh-ins happen and all of that. I'm very curious. Chris Weidman looks in shape for the record. I mean, good point. Because if I'm getting my ass kicked throughout, I might renege on that Magni pick. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we'll see. I'm then interested will, to see this one. You will hate yourself <laughs> if uh, if if that happens and then Magni does it again. I mean, there's the not there's not really enough fights for you to come out of this ahead. Yeah. But. Especially because I've got all most of the, uh, actually I have all of the 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 plus point picks, but yeah, it could cert it could certainly be very close to even. Yeah, absolutely. Which which it has been, you know, for the last couple of months. Um, you know, again, either one of us edges by. A point no, no, no. I don't mean us to tie. I mean you could you you could end up with a six point swing. Oh, I doubt that would be me or a getting five every point swing. That's me getting basically every fight and you getting no fights. The odds of that are extremely mm. slim. You made some good picks, man. Including your dogs. I'm looking forward to seeing it, and, you know, good good picking. Me too, man. I will not be watching this live, unfortunately, as much as I want to. This is, like, my wife's anniversary weekend, so we'll be spending it together, um, which, you know, as you can imagine, me even bringing up the idea of watching UFC would be unfair, even though she might let me do it. I'll see if I can put her to bed by 10, and maybe watch then. Lorelai, if you're cool. listening to this, I love you, girl. Well, send, you know, if you, well, still, send, you know, send me a, you know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, I have you know no what idea saying. what you're talking about. I'll, I'll send you flick, results. You know, f yeah, flick, <laughs> yeah, f exactly. I have no idea what I'm talking about either. But as long Res as you have no idea, video that, <laughs> as long as you have no idea that I've got no idea, then we're on the same page. All that right, fair. Are you afraid that Talk Dana White is listening to this right now? He's going to come after you. I don't know who, what you're talking about. All right, later, bud. Looking forward to next week. Bye.